Okay, if you would turn to the Gospel of Luke, if you have a Bible. It'll be the last time I say that, probably a long time. Luke 24, verses 50 to 53. Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Father, I ask for the work of Your Spirit that softens my heart, that softens all of our hearts, to see clearly the testimony of the apostles through the pen of Dr. Luke in these closing verses of this narrative, that we may also with them worship Him and rejoice in Him, now and always, to the glory of His name. Amen. This is the 129th and the last sermon on the Gospel of Luke. I began this series on October 24th, 2010. And I began my very first sermon with these words, quote, I am overwhelmed in taking on Luke for two reasons. First, because it's narrative, and thus it will consist in long chunks of text I have to deal with. Secondly, is because we will be hearing directly from our Savior in His earthly ministry, and He is confrontational. And this is thrilling and scary. It's thrilling because we, as believers, can trust Him. But it's scary because Jesus is a radical. And He demands radical change in radical lives. End quote. These last three and a half years have been nothing short of the fulfillment of those two realities. It's thrilling and scary. But we have now seen Jesus died. And on the third day He was resurrected from the dead, and this morning we will see His ascension. And these are the reasons why we can entrust our souls into His radical demands upon our lives. And the key to this life of believers is found in verse 49 of Luke 24. As Jesus said, And behold, I am sending the promise of My Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power 
from on high. And now right after that, Luke closes his long narrative of the ministry of Jesus with the ascension into heaven of Jesus, which provides Luke a bridge into his second book, the Acts of the Apostles. So if you remember how the physician, Dr. Luke, began the Gospel of Luke, quote, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And he begins his second book. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. And then Luke goes on to expand on Jesus' ascension. In other words, a larger detail than what He gives us at the end. Luke. So, remember the context. Jesus has been brutally tortured to death. And on the third day, He rose from the dead. Not to new resuscitated mortal life, but to new physical, trans-physical, human, immortal life. And for a period of six weeks... He had been ongoingly appearing to His apostles and women and many other disciples, teaching them from the Hebrew Scripture, Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, how they all were pointing to the Messiah and that Jesus Himself is that Messiah and fulfilled them to the T. And then at the end of 40 days, let, let, let me just put, make sure that you understand this. At first, on the, they're in Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, he's buried. On that Easter Sunday, he makes appearances. And for the next week, he's making appearances in Jerusalem. We see that in John. And then as he told them, go 90 miles up back home to Galilee, and I'm going to see you there. And they did that, and he makes appearances up in Galilee, where at one time he appeared to over 500 persons and spoke. And he also appeared <laughs> to his unbelieving brother, James, who was no longer an unbeliever up there. And James became one of the head leaders of leaders of the church in Jerusalem for decades then. To come. And now they moved back down from Galilee to Jerusalem. And towards the end of the 40 days, Jesus says this to them in verse 49 But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, in Luke's other account in Acts chapter 1, he expands on it, saying this in verses 4 and 5. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, quote, You heard from Me, 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And again, they're listening to this teaching for six weeks. Imagine what's going on on the inside of these people as they have been sitting at the feet of this man who was tortured on a cross, resurrected, touching his hands, seeing holes, eating with him, and he's opening the Scriptures to them, teaching constantly. Their hearts are burning with passion. Then at the end of the 40 days, Luke says in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still a little confused. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is a deep historical spiritual drama. Just before Jesus left this realm, He gave to the church the Great Commission. The ongoing mission until He returns someday. Start, my witnesses, with the Bible in one hand and your experiences of my resurrection in the other and start with your fellow Jews in Jerusalem and move out throughout Judea and then leave the Jews and go to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And he hadn't come back yet and that mission is still the mission of the church. And He gave that commission on the Mount of Olives. Right outside Jerusalem, you go outside the Eastern Gate, down the Kidron Valley, and then up this big old hill called the Mount of Olives. And on the other side of the hill as you go down, if you're on that side, you can also refer to it as Bethany. A little village. And so we read in verses 50 and 51 of our text, Then He, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up His hands, He blessed them. While He blessed them, He parted from them and was carried up to heaven. Luke puts it this way in Acts 1, verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And so as Jesus is blessing them, he's continued slowly to be lifted 
up. This raising of the hands, they know what it is. The Bible people, it's their culture. It's the priestly blessing. Like we see in Leviticus 9.22 where the high priest, Aaron, we read, Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And now the high priest lifts up his hands and blesses them and continues to bless them as he's slowly ascending You know, slowly, it's an imperfect tense in the Greek, in Luke, and in Acts as he's carried away. And they were cloud, according to Luke in Acts 1. That cloud was not a rain cloud. It was not a white, puffy cloud on an otherwise blue-skied day. That cloud is the Shekinah glory of God, which represents the presence of God. It's the cloud on Mount Sinai that Moses entered for 40 days. And when he came down the mountain to the people, he had to put a big old cloth over his face because it shone and it was bright. It's that cloud. It's the cloud that hung over the tabernacle. It's the cloud by day in the pillar of fire by night during the wilderness. It's the cloud in Solomon's temple that filled the temple and they could not stand for the glory, presence of the Lord. It's the cloud that Luke told us us about on the Mount of Transfiguration. Back in chapter 9, verse 34, we read, A cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. This is the cloud that Jesus ascended up into and then was carried away. Their jaws dropped as they were gazing up at the glory cloud and their friend and their Savior, the one who ate and talked with them for 40 days after being dead, was finally gone. Luke describes it this way in Acts 1, verses 10 to 11. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men, he means angels by that, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. This ascension is Jesus' exodus. The, The Gospel of Luke has been pointing to 
the whole time, starting with the transfiguration. On that mountain, we read in Luke, and with him was Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his, ESV translates it, departure. It's the Greek word, exodus. Spoke about his exodus which was about to be accomplished at Jerusalem. Or, if you remember nine months before this, because it was a nine-month journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem, we read Luke saying, When the days drew near for Him to be taken up. He's referring to His ascension, which will come subsequent to His death and His resurrection. When the days drew near for Him to be taken up, He set His face to go to Jerusalem. And before the Sanhedrin, at one of His trials, Jesus spoke a few words. And here are some. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. That's His ascension. And so the question is this. What are we supposed to understand that these guys and gals are really witnessing on that mountain as He ascended? Well, first, they're witnessing the fulfillment of prophecies. Like Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 to 8. David says, The Lord, Yahweh, God of Israel, the Creator, Yahweh said to me, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And Jesus will come and He will declare after His resurrection and right before His ascension, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Fulfilling. Or in Psalm 8, 6, a thousand years earlier, we read, You have given Him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under His feet. Or in Psalm 1.10, we read, The Lord, Yahweh, says to my Lord, this is King David talking, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Referring to Jesus. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. And on the night before Jesus' death, He told the disciples in John 16, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. 
That's what they're seeing on the mount. A thousand years earlier, Psalm 68:18, through David, he says, "You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men." Now the Apostle Paul quotes that verse referring to Jesus' ascension in Ephesians 4.8 saying, When He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. So, here's Paul knowing it refers to Jesus. So he changes the pronoun from from you to He, Jesus, led a host of captives. And He also has Jesus, instead of receiving gifts, giving gifts to people. Why? Because Psalm 68 is a song of ascent, of going up in victory with David after a battle, or it may have been when they're bringing the ark into Jerusalem and ascending the hill to Jerusalem, or Mount Zion. It's, it, it's a celebration. But, since Jesus is both David's descendant, son, and David's Lord, the psalm is also a prophecy of a much greater ascension, ascent upward. Much greater than going up the hill in Jerusalem and Palestine. But it is going from this world to God's heaven where the king will then distribute gifts to people. And so Paul in Ephesians explains Psalm 68 saying this. In saying... He ascended. What does it mean but that He also descended into the lower regions? The earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens so that He might fill all things. And He gave gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay, So here's Paul. And his point is that Jesus' ascension from earth to the heavenly realm after His resurrection, it meant two extraordinary things. One, so that He ascended far above all the heavens and might fill all things. The first is His ascension is His exaltation above all. The second is that in His exaltation, He is serving people. He is ministering to people. 
and through people by the Spirit. So let's look at the first first. The ascension of Jesus is His exaltation. Look back at verse 51 of our text. While He blessed them, He parted from them and was carried up to heaven. Where? Did He go past the moon? Or, or maybe past Saturn. But this is a very tiny solar system. What about one of the other billions of solar systems in our own galaxy? Or did he go to another galaxy out of billions of galaxies? No, it's not the point. He ascended to another realm. This language, going up and then into the cloud and then he's gone, is not a spatial description. Remember, Jesus' resurrected body, it is physical, but it's not merely physical, it is trans-physical. It appears, it disappears, it moves right through cloth of the grave clothes. It, it shows up in rooms that have locked doors and no doors are open and then He's there. Jesus' ascent to heaven cannot be described in terms of space or distance. His descent, as, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, His descent to earth which came through the womb of the virgin Mary is not measured in miles or billions of light years. Not at all. Heaven is not a created realm. It is an utterly different realm than this created universe. And it's a place where this transphysical body can be. Remember, we saw Jesus, after His resurrection, talking to the two on the road, and it was at the dinner table in Emmaus. They saw, and then He vanished. This is the one that now on this day, on the Mount of Olives, was taken up into the glory cloud of God's presence. He's gone. He's now in a wholly other realm than this created universe. He is the transphysical, resurrected human being seated at the right hand of God, meaning the authority and the power of God Himself. As the Gospel of Mark puts it in chapter 16, verse 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after He had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, fulfilling those prophecies. It is the place of ultimate authority and power. 1 Peter 3, 22 
describes the resurrected and ascended Jesus this way, Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. Now, when you think about what Jesus said on the night before He was crucified. He prayed this way in front of His disciples, saying in John 17, Father, glorify Me in Your presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. Okay. This is the pre-existent, uncreated, eternal Son praying, speaking as a human being. And therefore, this re-glorification you hear it? Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world was created he's not saying glorify my divine nature because it's lost some glory somehow it's not his point this is the eternal one who never lost his divine nature but took to himself another nature Human nature. This is the one eternal person who now with this human nature is referring to himself. There's only one of him. There's only one person, two natures, to himself. And he means, now take up what I brought to myself, my humanity, and glorify it with the glory. I have always had before anything was created. And therefore, it's what we're seeing 40 days later in the ascension. It is the glorification of Jesus, the man who is a baby, who's very human as any of us, yet without sin. It is the glorification that comes as a consequence of His incarnation. Becoming a human being. And as a consequence of His death and His resurrection and His ascension. I want you to listen very carefully how that's exactly what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians. Starting with verse 6 of Ephesians 2, Paul tells us, Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, the morphe of God, in nature, God, did not count His equality with God, because He is God, a thing to be grasped, meaning He did not prevent His divinity to say, I will not become a human being. 
That's what he means. He did not count his equality with God a thing to be held on to and not become human. But instead, he emptied himself by taking the form, the morphe, the nature of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form or nature, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Now notice the next word. Therefore, as a consequence of what we've been seeing for three and a half years. Therefore, God highly exalted Him, a man who happened to be God, but highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him, the carpenter from Nazareth. What did He bestow on Him? This resurrected, ascended man. The name that is above every name. Don't lose it here on what Paul's doing. The name is not the name Yeshua. Jesus. The name is not the name that Gabriel said, and you shall call His name Jesus. The name is Yahweh. Lord, hear Him. Hear Him. Let me just, let me just say this first. In the Greek translation of the Hebrew text, Yahweh, used thousands of times in the Old Testament, is always translated with the Greek kurios, which we usually say Lord. So it's here Paul again. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so, these Jews rightly worshipped the Son of Mary. See verse 52 of our text? And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. That's why the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 1, verses 8 to 9, says about Jesus, quoting the prophecy, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you 
with the oil of gladness beyond your companions, beyond every other human being. Or why Hebrews 10, 12-13 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Well, of course, He was raised from the dead. He appeared for 40 days. He taught, then He ascended. And He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. The incarnation of Jesus has permanent consequences in taking His humanity to heaven. That same resurrected human being, Jesus will return one day and take the humanity of all that He has redeemed and they will be resurrected and ascended with Him forever. Jesus is just the first fruits of the resurrection and ascension. And therefore, He guarantees the final redemption of all those who are in union with Him. That's the first thing of this ascension. It is His exaltation of our glorious Savior and Captain. God, who had become a human being and will remain so forever. One person, two distinct natures. And then secondly, out of that exaltation since His ascension flows His ongoing ministry. First, it is His ministry as our High Priest. He is seated as the sacrifice for our sins as our advocate before the Father for all of us who are so screwed up. And Paul wants believers to know that truth intimately when he writes in Romans 8.34, Who is to condemn? Okay, let's just stop for a second. There is no such thing as sinlessness this side of the grave and the resurrection. Genuine believers, something happens in their heart. They see the truth of the Gospel. And lo and behold, you're still screwed up. But you are different. There's a way in which you despise your sin. If that's you, you're real. Okay. And you have a conscience? And you have a conscience that's messed up and doesn't pay attention very well to the gospel sometimes? And there are unseen evil beings like to mess with your conscience. What was me? Oh, ho, ho. And Paul says this to you Who is to condemn? Here's his answer. No one. Why? Quote, 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. He's incarnated and He died. More than that, who was raised from the dead. Who is at, thus He ascended, and is at the right hand of God, who indeed is presently interceding for us. Or Hebrews 4, 14-16 puts it this way, Since we who are believers have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens in His ascension, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. The resurrected and ascended Jesus is at the very core of the Christian's hope day by day. This is how it's put in Hebrews 6. We have this as a sure and a steadfast anchor of our soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. He's our high priest. And He's ministering by interceding for every sheep constantly. And the second huge thing we see about His ministry is that His ascension is what then released the person an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. His ascension meant His sending the Holy Spirit. John 16, Jesus said to His disciples, Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I do not go away and descend to the right hand of power, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Jesus ascended to heaven so He could be closer and nearer to every sheep. Constantly in the person of God, the Holy Spirit. That's why he says in Luke 24, verse 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power 
from on high. And they did. And on the day of Pentecost, He sent the Spirit in the unprecedented way. And Peter preached the very first Christian sermon saying this to thousands in the temple in Jerusalem. This Jesus God raised up. And of that, we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you both see and hear. This is our life. The Holy Spirit communes with us. He's the one that brought us into union with Christ when we were strange. The Father and the Son commune intimately with all who belong to Him through the indwelling person of God, the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. He ascended. And He is working marvelous things for the last couple thousand years in persons. Pulling us out of darkness into His marvelous light. The Holy Spirit is applying everything we have been seeing for three and a half years. He's applying the death when the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus for sins He never committed, but for all whom He's saving. He's applying His resurrection and His ascension as people hear this Gospel. And as they saw Him ascend into the glory cloud, one day, that same resurrected man will return. And He'll wrap it all up. And He will bring the promised consummation of the kingdom. And all who belong to Him will bodily be raised to immortality forever. Because of nothing they have done but because of everything Jesus did for them. And so, going verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke, it really has been a journey these last three and a half years. Through this journey, we have seen the angel Gabriel appear to some obscure teenage girl and announce that she as a virgin will give birth to a son. We have seen that the Creator 
God, the second person, became a human being in her womb and He was born. We wondered, what would it be like to be a human being, to have a mind that is unaffected by sin? And we saw it in a 12-year-old Jesus confounding the PhDs of His day. We saw the Father speak at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. We saw Jesus withstand the temptations of Satan in the wilderness for 40 days and He did it as a man and He did it as one trusting in what is written. We saw Him begin His public ministry at the age of 33 or so in His hometown of Nazareth as He preached in His home synagogue. And by the end of His sermon, His town people were so angry at Him, they tried to kill Him. We saw over these three and a half years Jesus going up and down Palestine, Judea, Galilee, Samaria, and even above Galilee into Gentile lands for a moment or three, performing miracles, healing the sick, casting out demons, and constantly preaching the promise of the kingdom of God that had been written in the Hebrew Scriptures for hundreds and hundreds of years. We saw Him call out of many, many disciples, Twelve men to be his apostles, and one was ordained to betray him. We saw him feed five thousand persons with five loaves of bread and two fish. He constantly, throughout his ministry, attacked the hyper religious Pharisees absolutely and constantly missing the point of Scripture and twisting it for their own arrogant religiosity. Over these three and a half years, we have covered so many different Christian, Christian life, theological topics because of what we saw in Luke. Just a perusal through the church website on the sermons of Luke will let you see a glimpse like I'll give. We have had topics like the nature of angels, the discipline of the Lord for those who are His, the incarnation of Christ, prayer and fasting, repentance, the end time judgment day, the now but not yet aspects of the kingdom of God, the necessity of forgiving those who hurt you, sin against you, and wrong you, or you will not be forgiven. Loving our enemies. Money. Where your money is, there is your heart also. Miracles. The deity of Christ. The cost of following Jesus. If you don't take up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. The sovereignty of God. Unconditional election. Being word-centered people. The sin of legalism. The fear of God. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The assurance of salvation. The second coming. 
divorce and remarriage, justification by faith, church life, church-state relations, money, giving, and worship, the Lord's Supper, the trials of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the nature of His resurrection. Just to name a few topics over these three and a half years. What we have seen is that throughout His earthly ministry, Jesus kept saying, I'm going to Jerusalem in order to be killed as a sacrifice for sins. And on the third day I will rise from the dead. And He did just that. And He ascended to the right hand of God with all authority and power given to Him. I closed my very first sermon on the Gospel of Luke this way. Let us be moved by this great historical, theological narrative of Jesus' life and ministry. And let us embrace His radical teachings. But, Never think that this rules out the work of the Holy Spirit because without His work, none of us would have ever owned up to the evidence and the truth of the Gospel. If God does not open our hearts in the months and years to come through Luke, then all of His writing will have been in vain to us. Personally. End quote. And so I close the Gospel of Luke declaring Jesus has ascended and He has poured out the Holy Spirit. And that is why any of us believe such a seemingly radical and ludicrous message about what reality is really about. For darkened sinners like us, we never would have come to Him if it weren't for the mercy of the Spirit blowing through our hearts as we heard or read this good news of Jesus Christ. And so, in closing, I declare the Lord Jesus Christ is our God and our King. An angel came to a teenage girl who was a virgin and she gave birth. And then Luke's narrative ends with these words. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And so with the early apostles and the early church, we also make our confession. And Luke said this confession in public settings, reciting it together in church services often. 
as a very close companion of Paul that he was. This confession that is given to us in 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Here's Luke's outline for what we have seen. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Let's pray. Father, may You continue in the lives of us needy, beggar children who realize that in and of ourselves we are absolutely nothing and we're born as children of wrath. May this glorious gospel that you superintended through the physician Luke live convict instruct our hearts our minds our decisions in our lives through the weeks months years and decades to come to the glory of your holy name Amen.